Welcome to Archie Digest, a Riverdale podcast. It's a podcast, it's about a story that's about a town, and tonight we're talking about chapter 16, The Watcher in the Woods. Uh, I'm Chris Hayner. I'm Craig Byrne. And I'm Russ Burlingame, reminding you that there's actually a Watcher in the Woods remake in the works, starring former Sabrina the Teenage Witch herself, Melissa Joan Hart. Don't, Hashtag, don't, it's all connected. We don't, listen, I don't acknowledge that version of Sabrina. <laughs> I don't acknowledge that version of Sabrina when we're talking about Riverdale. I acknowledge it on what I'm assuming will be my eventual TGIF podcast. There you go. But that's that's it. Hey, the Sabrina TV movie they did that had Harvey, I think Harvey was played by Ryan Reynolds in that one. He was one of the roles. That was okay. Hmm. I did not know that existed. Yeah, it was about a year before the series. It was done for Showtime or something random like that. Crazy. Yeah, I'll have to look into that because I I, I actually, I've seen like maybe four episodes of the Melissa Joan Hart Sabrina. I was just not age appropriate for it or something. I don't know. Oh, I don't, I have no excuse. I have seen uh, probably every episode before it moved to UPN. Hey, my childhood crush Punky Brewster was on it and it was WB. Was it WB? Yeah, because that's when I met Soleil Moon Fry. I was at a WB Network party in 2002. Lucky. Nice. Lucky man. Yeah, and we're probably going to cut all of that because it's not relevant to Riverdale. Or well, it is. we'll see. I mean, yeah. I'm pretty lazy about cutting stuff. <laughs> okay. Plus, it's a good example that hopefully you can hear us this week. Oh, I know. Yes. Dear Lord. I thought about are, over the introduction this week just so I could say, welcome to Archie Digest, a Riverdale podcast, a podcast you can hear with your ears. Mm. Well, hopefully it will be better for this time. Apologies to those of you who still listened. I'm glad that you listened the last two weeks, but hopefully we sound better this week. I didn't listen to last week's episode. Yeah, I tried. I, it, it made <laughs> me sad. Uh, we have had technical difficulties uh, and, and we're fixing it. This is where this week we're back to how we used to record last season, which, uh, other than a couple of like hiccups and stammers, never actually failed us. So hopefully everything will be good. I'll just say, let's be honest. Podcasting is a very new medium. It's only been around for a few months, and they're still trying to work the kinks out. It's true. And we'll probably be fast with this week's episode because Russ has to be up early, and I need to go for a jog in the woods. <laughs> First of all, you things are limited cool. here, and uh, Grindum is full of Wizard of Oz ads this week. Listen, I'll be honest; there are no woods in the valley. Shit. Uh, okay, things are not limited in Southern <laughs> California. <laughs> okay, fair. Moving on. <laughs> but yeah, so, let's jump. Let's jump into this week's weird episode. Yes, and cruising Kev. Yeah, I mean. I don't know, man. I, 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 the, this episode is one of the only two episodes that I don't imagine I will rewatch so far. Uh, yeah. Wait, what's the other one? Ten, the party. Really? I, you didn't like? Were you, is it that you're not a fan of it, or that you just don't feel the need to revisit? And I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't a big fan of it. It was just, it, it fell into a lot of tropes of stories that I don't like. And I get why everybody else liked it because those are stories that they do like. Um, but I kind of watched the episode. I actually, I have rewatched it already once because I end up rewatching everything with my wife. Uh, and my wife didn't like it either. And I'm just kind of like, okay, well that, that's the episode we probably don't have to watch again. 
Uh, See, I... Sorry. No, I was, uh, my thing is, the Kevin thing seemed to come kind of straight the hell out of nowhere. I think it's also partly because Kevin hasn't done much in season two so far. So it could have been happening in off-screenville. Well, Very true. As I was watching this episode, I hearkened back to sometime early in season one, maybe even in the pilot or episode two, uh, Sheriff Keller, at, like, I could be misremembering this entirely, but did, did, did it not happen? Episode four. four. No, it was, yeah, it was one where they went to the drive-in movie theater. Exactly. Sheriff, he told him to be Sheriff Keller flat out asked, like, he flat out alluded to the fact that, like, listen, don't go cruising in the woods. Like, be careful out there. There's bad people afoot. Like, well, this was also the first episode in a while that brought up the whole Moose thing of Kevin hooking up with Moose from the pilot. And both times oh, yeah. they find dead bodies, or injured bodies in this case. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that, another I, thing. I feel like, we can I feel like maybe. Yeah. I feel like maybe that left part of the bad taste in my mouth, not because I wanted those characters to die, but just because. It, it falls into that, like, Arrow premiere thing of... It just feels like there was so much implication for that cliffhanger, and then you come back and it's like, oh, everybody's fine. Especially Midge, who wasn't even injured. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think we can officially say it. Uh, the ser- see, This guy, the Black Hood, is the worst serial killer. He is, he is. Like, he's shooting one for four. Although he did kill Grundy, who nobody could stand, so he gets points for that. Yeah, but this was after she'd already gone away, so she wasn't even really a problem anymore. Uh, She was molesting the children of Greendale. I don't think that was not a problem. Also, he didn't shoot her. It's it's interesting that he can't seem to figure out how to work a gun. Uh, And and (laughs) strangling her, it was probably... He he gets a a bit of a a modified point for that. He gets like three quarters of a point. Because he's up close and personal, but also she's like 90 pounds soaking wet, so if he can't overpower her, he's got other problems. We should start a pool on who his next actual victim will be. Because I'm sure somebody's going to get killed. Oh, yeah. I mean, the fact that all of the episodes this season are named after slasher movies indicates that this isn't ending anytime soon. Right. Regardless of what the Hood and his friends do. And regardless of what the Red Circle gets together, that's that's all what of I whom really are not um, built like high schoolers. Clearly, yeah. it was like a bunch of like twenty somethings all wearing red masks. I'm sure we're going to talk about like sort of the building of the Red Circle and like what it could mean in a larger context and all that stuff. But can I just say, having I rewatched the episode tonight mm-hmm. uh, to get ready for this. And why is the video Archie makes of the Red Circle just a bunch of bros hanging out without their shirts on? I don't know. It was so weird because, A, Archie was fully dressed and not wearing a mask, and everyone else was topless and wearing a red hood. You'd think Kevin would go there. It's a lot safer than running through the woods. It's true. True. Just saying. I mean, that's that actually... the the. The red circle element was what, like the Kevin stuff. I was like, okay, whatever. It, 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 like continuity wise, I had a bit of a beef, but whatever. The red circle stuff was really where I was just like, come on, guys, it just isn't like 
we talked about this last season that I don't really need to see Archie superheroes because we have superheroes 42 times a week right now. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, obviously we're not going to see them dress up as the characters that Archie is inspired by, but the fact (laughs) that he's going out and, you know, Oliver queening it up while inspired by superheroes is just, I don't know. It feels unnecessary. Maybe it wasn't the Black Hood that killed Miss Grundy. Maybe it was the Hangman. Uh, it's definitely the Black Hood, but... Yeah, I know, uh, I'm just, you know, um, red circle characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the Hangman is what we're going to get for me, because people who listen to the podcast are going to be annoyed that I, I don't like an episode. Ha! Huh. Well, well, um... It's oh, like, I mean, I, I've had I've had moments where I'm just like, this probably isn't my favorite. I didn't mind this one so much, if only for one reason, and that reason is it wasn't as... Oh, it didn't feel as overstuffed as the first two. That's um, fair, yeah. It, it felt like they went... There was a lot going on, but it felt to me like they went out of their way to interconnect it all in a way where it didn't seem as jarring to jump from one story to another. I also liked that we finally got Sheriff Killer's first name on the show. I mean, we knew it on Twitter, but um, Mayor McCoy calls her calls him Tom twice. That's right, yeah. We also got uh, Weatherby's first name thrown out there a couple of times. Oh, they they said Waldo on the show? Yeah. yeah Keller's I didn't said, notice Keller's that. Like, Waldo, why are you letting these kids do things? Uh, I forgot about that. Yeah. No, but, um, yeah, I mean, I liked that there was stuff connected. I, I actually did like that, you know, there was some continuity, like with the stuff with Moose, you know, where they go back to... Because, I mean, so far, Kevin has mostly just been a character who's reacting to, like, Betty or Veronica, and he's always like, oh, my God, to, like, everything. So it was nice to give the character yeah. a little bit more depth. So I like that. And it's that. also nice to see him put Betty in her place. Yeah. Like, what, regardless of how, like, of how bad an idea it might have been to go out into the woods when there's a killer on the loose, it was nice for him to sort of tell her, like, get serious with Betty and be like, listen, you do all sorts of crazy things, and I'm never, I'm never in your face about it. And your experience is so different from mine. Mm-hmm. So, like, just don't. Pretend like you don't know what it's like because you don't. And it was I also had like had to face that, even though it doesn't seem like she exactly learned from it. I feel like Betty is the one who always has to face that because again, going back to the party episode, she was the brunt of the "I'm weird" speech. (laughs) Yeah, I also liked how uh, fascinated Cheryl seemed by Kevin's exploits, and ultimately she went to you know to help and you know, keep him out of trouble, but... Well, help is an interesting word. Yeah. I I can't quite decide if she was actually trying to help or she was just, like, stirring the pot. Fair. Yeah, she was definitely poking the bear at that one. So, uh, what was your guys' reaction when they had the sequence where Kevin got in the car and got stabbed? Because I was just like, oh, shit, what just happened? And then freaked out, and it's just like, no way! It's the, they wouldn't. There's no way they would do this. They just made him a bigger character on the show. And then, of course, you realize. I don't know why. I, I instinctively I knew that it was a fantasy sequence. I think just maybe because the first, like the premiere episode, had so many of those with with Fred's dream. 
there was something about it where the, the second it happened, I'm just like, oh, this is a dream. And then when they cut away from it, it was like, I did have that moment of like, oh, woo, because my brain, even though I knew, okay, this is a dream, like you're having that reaction. See, yeah, I had no idea. I did not know what to expect, so I was kind of shocked. I, I kind of feel like, and, and again, maybe I'm, maybe I'm totally wrong on this. I, I kind of feel like having one of his things be a hate crime would be a bridge too far. That's possibly true. Yeah. And so I, I, I can see that. Yeah. And so to, uh, that that I think that might have been what was kind of setting off the alarm in my brain. But I mean, certainly, first of all, I think it's interesting that the thing we talked about last night or last week, excuse me, uh, kind of has played out in terms of apparently it is a dude who thinks he's doing right and that these people are all morally corrupt and I'm doing all of you a favor. Yeah. Uh, That said, I I am super curious to find out whether the guy in the car is actually a threat or whether he's just some rando that I thought it was just some rando. Oh, I'm I'm like eighty percent sure that he's just some rando. But uh, it would be interesting if you know four weeks from now we found out that that dude was either a threat or dead. I was well, also I, afraid for Ethel at one point. That see that yeah. and that that's yeah. that's what I was going to touch on. I was afraid for Ethel, and we saw someone following her in a creepy van. Yeah. But we never get to the bottom of who that was. Eleven. And if it is like. What what has Ethel done to incur the wrath of the Black Hood, if that's what it was? I mean, it's possible that her involvement with the whole uh, Sticky Maple thing was enough to... But if that's the case, then obviously that puts a target on uh, Veronica. Ooh, the slut book, might that actually might actually come in, you know, plot-wise. I mean, it would be difficult for it to come in plot-wise because they burned it. So he oh, yeah. had to have access before Veronica did. But anything is possible. And what do we think of uh, Reggie and Archie teaming up for this stuff? Like the driving I around mean, patrolling? It gives, it gives Reggie something to do besides slinging drugs to people. Yeah. So I'm fine with it. Yeah, I, I, I really like Reggie and Archie's dynamic on the show. I assume that sooner than later it's going to sour and it's going to be a little bit more contentious because I don't think that those guys being BFFs can really sustain. But then but, again, this is the show where Betty and Veronica aren't rivals. That's true. Uh, but I, I really like the dynamic that they've built up so far and I'm interested to see where it goes. Cause even if it doesn't carry on in the way that it's been, I think that the next evolution of it, as long as it's an evolution and not just an abrupt change of course, uh, will be worth watching. So he's not going to be evil heart to Archie's pure heart. We at the end of last week's episode, Archie got Archie bought a gun, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I feel like this week we learned that. Listen, I think we've all commented on how great uh, KJ has been this season and how Archie yeah. has improved this season. But he's so dumb still. Oh, yeah. Like, he just bought a gun, and he's just, like, hanging out with it. His dad's like, we don't have guns in this house. Archie has no idea how to properly and responsibly use a gun, and that feels like a weird thing to have in a, in a the hero TV character in 2017. 
Yeah, and but then again, this hero TV character was sleeping with his teacher when the show started. Yeah, but he was an idiot. Oh well, yeah, he's supposed <laughs> to be rising above the rank of idiot now. Yeah, I, it, I'm gonna. I'm interested to see where that goes because I think that the mass shooting element of it too has to come into play at some point in terms of like, do we really want a hero who is like? irresponsibly running around with a gun that he doesn't know how to use when there's a larger cultural conversation about guns that's being had right now. Right. And I can see this episode being written and produced before the most recent mass shooting. And then the rest of the season being produced in a world where they have to tiptoe around that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it it, it was, it was, it was a little bit jarring. To just have him holding this gun and checking it out, clearly never having touched a gun in his life. Yeah, and he was very, like, uh, at least as my reading of KJ's performance was that he was very entertained by it. Like, it didn't, yes. it didn't feel like he was respecting it in the way that he needs to be in the situation that he's in. It felt like, ooh, man, it's pretty cool, I got a gun now. Well, it, also, it felt it felt to me like he thought it ga- he thought having the gun gave him power mm-hmm. rather than a new set of responsibilities that he needs to keep up with. Yeah. S- Speaking of having power, um, I thought it was very interesting the whole dynamic with Archie, Veronica, and Hiram, and how Hiram would have Archie in his in his little office den thing, yet not invite Veronica in. I thought you that guys. was kind of. Friggin' Hermione's a flat-out supervillain now. Yeah. What's happening? I mean, I, I feel like every time I've talked to uh, Marisol, she talks about how scared she is of him. And I feel like that's that this is, you're seeing a version of Hermione that's like, who's doing whatever she feels like she has to do to stay one step ahead of his wrath. Uh, but like what about moments when like when Hiram takes Archie into his study and fucking Hermione just taunts and mocks her own daughter yeah this is so not the Hermione of season one that it's a little surprising that this is how she's acting to the dot to her own daughter yeah I will I will admit that the even while I can kind of reconcile her character for most things the relationship she has with uh, Veronica this season is frustrating. I will say that it started to pop up in the, at the end of last season. Like uh, my wife watches everything kind of on her own schedule. And when we finally watched the finale last week, she was, uh, she was commenting a lot on how she misses the dynamic that Hermione and Veronica had at the beginning of season one. And having already seen the first three episodes of season two, when she was saying that it really struck me that like, yeah, they did start that earlier than I kind of remember it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very, it's very strange to me. And I understand how it makes sort of the Hiram family quest for power or whatever Mm -hmm. it is more interesting, but given how close the two of them were when Hiram wasn't there or the threat of Hiram wasn't looming over them, it's it's so it's very very frustrating to watch now and see Hiram clearly pulling all the strings, but when it comes to her daughter, Hermione seems to be reveling in the misery just a little bit too much for me. 
Yeah, I mean, it might come down to power. Like you said, it might come down to when she has Hiram, like, yeah, she has to be scared of him, but she doesn't feel like she has to be scared of anything else. Yeah, it's it's very, very odd. Um, I do, Oh, there was one moment when uh, I can't get a read on Hiram one way or the other. I know ultimately he's going to be up to no good, but uh, when he went to Hermione and said, don't poison my daughter against me, Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's just such a weirdly great character moment for him. And I, it makes me want to watch him more. Then you have the, 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 sort of, the sort of caveat that he brings Archie in close. Whereas in the comics, we know Hiram as someone who has really no interest in Archie whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, this could all be part of a bigger ploy, but like, I thought the way he brought him into his study and... Before he got into talking about Archie's sort of cause and what he's up to, he's like, I gotta get the dad thing out of the way. No more sneaking into my daughter's room. If you ever hurt her, I'll kill you. Now, let's talk about, like, cops can't do everything. Here's what you should do. Well, I also felt like it was a power thing when he brought Archie in, too, because it was kind of like the show Veronica. It's like, he can come in, but you can't. Ha ha. Well, and I also think I'm still... Super, super suspicious that everything Hiram is doing with Archie is trying to steer Archie into danger so that Fred will somehow end up beholden to Hiram. Yeah. There, yeah, there definitely is that aspect. Uh, when Fred, when uh, Hiram was looking at the, the weird topless video yeah. of young boys at the end of the episode... He just had this devious look on his face as he turned around in his big creepy chair. Mm-hmm. It's like he knows Archie is going down a dangerous path. And he's so delighted by it. Yeah, I'm, I will say this. I think that he is the best villain we've had on this show so far in the sense that he's a, like a, a character you love to hate or not, not even hate at this point, because we haven't really seen what his deal is, but he's, he's, he's so much fun to watch. And one of the things, like you look at Cliff and you look at some of the other kind of dangerous or violent or bad characters on the show so far, and they've been fairly one dimensional, like, you know, uh, what's his name? The serpent who attacked Archie and then got murdered. Oh, I don't remember uh, his name. yeah, that guy. Um, but the, when you look at the characters on Riverdale so far who are, like, out-and-out villains and not just, like, characters who live in Shades of Grey, I think Hiram is far and away the most interesting we've seen yet, and I'm super interested to see what his deal is. Well, here's a question, or a theory for you. Um, what if Hiram is behind the Black Hood, and he's having the Black Hood do these things as a distraction so he can get away with all the nasty shit he's doing in Riverdale? You know, it's funny. It wouldn't, on one level, it wouldn't surprise me. But on the other level, I kind of feel like, I think that this is a guy who is reveling in his power and who is reveling in being bulletproof. And I don't think he would lie about not having been responsible for what happened to Fred. Okay. And so I, I, and I don't really have a good reason for that because obviously he lied to his daughter five minutes before. But for whatever reason, 
Like I, I would be surprised to find out that he's behind the black hood because it seemed to me that not only was he being authentic when he said that he wasn't, but also that Hermione seemed so surprised by him saying it that I thought that she suspected it and hadn't dared to ask him. Fair. I like that. And so to me, like I, I that's the only reason that I feel like, it, I, and again, it's, it's definitely possible, but I feel like I would be really surprised by it. Like there would have to be a good explanation for like the how and the why of it for me to totally buy in. Was right, Josie in this episode at all? No. Pardon? No. Not. No such Josie, my friend. I'm sorry. That makes me sad. No, um, I'm trying to think. But you know who was in this episode? Sheriff Killer? Good old Jug. No, good old Jughead. And his new school friends. And his new school enemies. And his new newspaper. Okay, here's the thing. I went to a pretty nice high school and we didn't even have a newspaper office. How do all of these high schools have just, like, extra rooms that aren't being used? How did you go to a high school that didn't have an office for the newspaper? We had to share with yearbook. It sucked. My high school didn't have an office for the newspaper either. We just did it in, like, the computer lab. Honestly, I I don't see... The answer for Riverdale is that there's clearly a bunch of money there. And for uh, for, uh, Southside, I kind of feel like Southside gets... At, at, at some point, there was money there, and that it, it has kind of fallen into disrepair. Like, I don't think it was always poor. Yeah, if you looked at the boxes in that crappy office, they had, like, Macintosh computers from, like, 1992. Which, by the way, is the same ones that were at the Blue and Gold. And they're the oh, same ones really? at my high school, which actually yeah. was in 1992. That's why I remember it, because Craig and I sat down in front of those computers at the Blue and Gold in a finale visit, and Craig was talking about how he used this one in high school. But, yeah, we didn't really talk about Tony Topaz. I know that, you know, some of the fans online were worried about her being a threat to Bughead. I didn't really see her as a threat. No, I mean, I, I think that primarily I see her as a character who could evolve into a threat for Bughead because I think that she is going to, she seems to be interested in Jughead on a different level where she's not looking for a romance, but she's the closest thing to like a confidant that he's got right now. And it is the CW. Yeah. And so I, I could see them like manufacturing a conflict out of that, but I certainly don't like it's, it's not like we came in and then the first thing that happens is she's like, oh, I totally want that dude in the hat. Uh, and and what I do think will be problematic for Bughead is the fact that he's going to be A, lying to her, and B, Tony is going to know that he's lying to her. And so from Betty's perspective, I can see it being like, really? Like you could tell this chick the truth, but not me? I could definitely see that happening. I mean, yeah. It, I understand why he kept the truth from Betty because her natural state is that of one that she's worrying about everything. Yeah. Uh, but eventually she's clearly going to find out that there's more going on than what she's letting on. And there's, there's no way she's not going to find out that Tony was sort of in the loop the entire time. Yeah. And you know, I'm I'm confused about why like 
if he's going to just jump right back on the horse and basically go back to doing the blue and gold at his new school, I'm confused as to why he would hide that from Betty, because, like, I would think that after their experience together last season, it would be like, oh, by the way, I started at the newspaper office and already I have a, a lead on a drug ring. I mean, I guess you could yeah. make the argument oh, that he's trying to keep her protected, but... Eh. And he doesn't want her to think oh. that he's in danger being at Southside. She clearly is not down with the idea. Yeah, I mean, I get that. Intimidating name. That's true. Ghoulies, is, were the Ghoulies a movie? Was that? There was a cartoon, The Groovy Ghoulies, but I don't think it's related to Archie characters. Ghoulies is a movie, It's a toilet monster. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember, I remember, I remember the poster giving me nightmares. <laughs> I, 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 I could like kind of see the font, but I was like, maybe I'm mistaken. And, but yeah, as soon as you say it, yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm always curious by the pop culture references on the show and which ones are and are not intentional and all that kind of stuff. I'm still waiting for Cosmo the Merry Martian. Did you see, by the way, that today they started production on a, an episode of Riverdale named after a comic book series that's currently ongoing. What is it called? The Wicked and the Divine. That's random. Oh. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm guessing Wicked might equal Witch, but then again, that's mostly just because every time they have a creepy title, my brain goes to Sabrina. True. Yeah. No, but, yeah, so... That Interesting. Yeah, that, that was a script page they tweeted out today. So well, I know I'm, what that week's Archie Digest cover is going to look like. <laughs> 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 Crossover. Crossover. It's kind of like when I did the Outsiders cover last year, which mm-hmm. probably nobody other than a DC Comics fan would get. That's true. That's and true. I actually, I, the draft of last week's cover was going to use the Nighthawk logo from Marvel series last year, but it just didn't fit. Nice. See, for me, Nighthawks will always be the you know the painting of the diner. Well, that was well. That was the cover that they used for the script cover because obviously they they have those things. There was an Archie version, I think, from Archie six hundred. But uh, uh, one of my favorite comic book covers of all time is actually the cover to Guy Gardner Warrior number thirty. Yes, there was a variant by Phil Jimenez, and it's Guy Gardner in his warrior thing where he could make his hands into weapons, and instead he was using he was using his hands to like blend the ice for whatever Superman's alcoholic beverage was <laughs> uh, that was a, you know as stupid as the guy Gardner alien thing was that was a pretty good run for a little while it was it was I w- let's not get off on that because that's actually one of my favorite comics ever yes. so I could easily rant yeah at least I didn't say booster gold right you know true story true story but um but yeah Tony Topaz is a character I'm I'm Again, kind of like uh, Hiram, I think they've done a really good job of not tipping their hand on her too much yet, and I'm interested to see where that is going to go. Yeah, I mean, she seems to be good. Like, she doesn't seem as questionable as the lawyer that we saw last week, or uh, obviously Hiram. Oh, the snake charmer? Yeah. Yeah, snake charmer. Livewire, whatever her character's name was. Uh, Penelope something or Penny something, but yeah, I mean, Penny Peabody, Penny Peabody. Uh, I mean, here's, here's the thing with all of the serpents. I think that there is going to be, 
a lot of questions about what their motivations are. I do like the idea that the ghoulies are being set up as like the evil gang because it like by setting them up as even worse slash the ones who are behind the drug trade slash whatever, it allows you to do the thing that Betty was trying to do at the end of last season, which is to essentially find a way to rehab the serpent's image. Yeah, it really makes the serpent seem less bad when you realize there are much worse gangs out there. Yeah, exactly. And I think that it's it's interesting to me that we didn't hear about them before. Obviously, it's because story-wise, they weren't significant until now. But uh, it's it's going to be really interesting seeing Jughead trying to prove something in a situation where the serpents don't want to go to war. The ghoulies are actively trying to stop him from getting any information out. And in Riverdale, nobody wants to hear it because they just they figure that he's got his own agenda of, of protecting the serpents. Well, okay, so here was a question I had as I was watching the episode. Uh, the Jingle Jangle, which I still hate saying out loud, is a, the, the supply is coming through the high school from the ghoulies. Mm-hmm. Are, are the ghoulies a gang of adults outside the high school too, like the serpents, or are they just the high school gang? That's a good question. We don't really, I don't think we know yet. Uh, it would be interesting if they were essentially just like high school kids who have decided that it's time to change the game a little bit. Yeah. What if Maybe. Chick Cooper is a ghoulie? I, I think, I mean, that's, that's the thing is that there are still a lot of, uh, there's still a lot of balls in the air. And I think that there's, there's legitimate things of like, every time one of these things comes up, it's like, is Hiram involved? Is the Black Hood involved? Is Chick involved? And those are all legitimate questions that could have really interesting story implications if the answer is yes. Right. I'm glad we finally got some answers about Polly this week. Yes. Hey, Polly's still alive. For those of you who haven't watched the episode yet, it turns out Polly is not dead. I mean, of course, we talked about that last week, and I had seen this episode and was trying to shut up. And that's one of the things, actually, that's really interesting, is uh, I know that most of the time people who listen to us are either concerned that we're going to spoil stuff or think that we're just super lucky to get to see stuff early, which we are. But at the same time, it means that it's super hard to have a conversation about shows that we like because it's just like, yep, oh, by the way, I, I have to watch literally every word I say because when somebody says, oh, but they haven't addressed Polly yet, my gut instinct is to be like, sure they did. She's, oh, wait. Yeah, I yeah. purposely didn't watch ahead of what we had recorded. Mm-hmm. So, like, I wouldn't have known about Polly when we recorded, and I, li- I, I thought at least Midge or Moose were dead at this point last week. I knew that they weren't because I'd seen this, but at the same time, I remembered thinking, like, I remember buying it the first time I watched the episode, so I, I was playing both sides. <laughs> Meanwhile, the first time I watched the episode, I was like, there's no way they're killing the Germans. No, and like, I that would that. be That would be too much in the span of three episodes. Yeah, we were scared they were going to stab Kevin? Yeah, especially... Well, yeah, because that look... Because that we actually saw it happen. Yeah. Like, Midge and Moose, like, they're... I, I, I felt like they had clearly been shot. We saw blood. I never expected them to actually die because that would be insane. 
Well, the show is insane. That's why we love it. Yeah, but not that not that kind of insane. Especially after they just cast Midge. True. And like made not a big deal about it, but like it was an it was an officially announced over the summer that they had cast someone to play Midge. They wouldn't do that just to kill her off immediately. Well, I mean, so. there are some shows that I've seen do that, but that's a whole yeah. conversation. For me, I bought it when I first watched it. I didn't really think that hard about it. Now that, like, in hindsight, it's like, yes, of course, they probably weren't going to do that. But again, I was mostly at that point just kind of rolling with what was in, what was in front of me. Yeah. Who do you guys think the next target for the Black Hood will be? I still want to know why he's after Ethel, man. What did she do besides open a door? Like, I mean, really her... did during that whole dark Betty thing was open a door. One possibility is that he's after her because of her parents' dealings with the lodges. Because obviously, mm-hmm. her father's you know life got ruined because he was in business with Hiram. That implies that he was in business with Hiram, and this dude apparently went after Fred for just being in business with. Well, the serpent killed himself, didn't he? Yeah. No, he tried to. He failed. Oh, oh yeah. that's right. He's not dead. And I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm literally just spitballing when I suggest that, but it's right. certainly a possibility, especially because Fred has business ties to uh, the lodges. Could somebody like Mayor McCoy be next? That would make sense, actually. I mean, I I could see the next target being the corrupt politician, speci- and that would yeah, require them having that- Josie in an episode. Bonus. I mean, that, I mean this season. yeah, she was in one and two. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it actually, that's a really good guess. Is Mayor McCoy or Sheriff Keller being the next kind of target? I don't think either of them would actually die. But Keller but, is the Black Hood. Well, nevertheless, I mean, even if that's the case, you could still stage something. Fair. Do, at any point, do you think Alice or Hal... I think they'd kill Hal in a, in a heartbeat. No, I mean, but do you think they would end up... Because obviously the Black Hood is using the Cooper family as sort of his messenger to the people. Do you, but do you think they... Because they've made some questionable choices. We still don't know what all Hal did in the early days of his and Alice's relationship, but we know that he did some very bad things. Mm-hmm. So I I find myself wondering if he'd ever become a target. It's interesting. I kind of I, I think that the next target we see might give us some real insight into what the hell this guy's actual deal is. Because even if you take this all at face value and think that okay, this is actually true and he really is like a misguided person who believes he's doing right. I don't really see a pattern of behavior emerging yet in terms of like explaining what the hell he's doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas I feel like maybe one more attempt or one more murder or one more, whatever it is, there'll be something about who the victim is or what they're doing. That'll allow us to like connect some dots. RIP Polly. <laughs> I, again, I, I'm still of the, impression that I don't think I think that Holly will be fine. Like I think they'll they'll ride her out of town for a while. I really don't think they're gonna kill the pregnant lady. Fair. It would be a ballsy move to kill off the woman pregnant with twins. Yeah. And I mean Star Wars did it. Certainly I mean certainly we didn't think that they were going to 
do the incest thing. So there's always the possibility that we're wrong. Well, we did think there was incest going on with the Blossom family. We just had the wrong people. I don't know. I don't, I mean, maybe I'm misremembering. I don't, I don't feel like about three episodes in, I feel like we kind of abandoned that line of thinking and that it was mostly just joking because the subtext was all over the place. There. But yeah, I mean, I'm really liking as much as, like I said, I, I, I was really turned off by the whole red circle thing. I just, I don't know. Something about it just really didn't work for me. And it kind of cleared the whole episode a little bit. That said, I do think that they did a lot right this week. And that in terms of the Hiram stuff and the the Tony stuff and whatever, it feels like there's a lot of things going on this week that are promising really cool stuff down the line. Back to your point about the Red Circle, though. Uh, I'm kind of with you in that I don't necessarily... Like, I'm not on board with it yet. I guess I could be eventually. But, like, at this point... The whole gimmick of the Red Circle is if you're in trouble, call Archie and his gang of hooligans will show up to whoop some ass. Mm-hmm. This is a guy that has sprung attacking people on them with no warning whatsoever. It's not like Midge and Moose had time to call someone yeah. before they got killed. Fake killed. Like, yeah, or yes, before they were shot. This isn't a guy who's like, in 10 minutes, you're going to pay for it. Yeah. Like, no. Yeah, I mean... mean, It's it's little holes like that that really make me wonder how this is going to play out, I guess, as the season continues. I don't necessarily think that's a hole. I kind of feel like it's, you know, we talked a little bit about power with Hiram, and I feel like there's an element of Archie just feeling like he needs to do whatever he can to seize some power in the situation. And so maybe he's not thinking rationally because his priority is doing something. Also, I love that they, you know, when they canvassed the whole area with like, you know, red circle flyers, they'd put one like every single locker. There's like 30 of them in frame. Mm -hmm. It's like kind of overachieving, but I kind of like that aspect, that whole community aspect of getting the word out that way. Just probably didn't have to make so many copies. I mean, but let's be honest, how many vigilante groups do you know of that, like, fly a hallway? I mean, that's... (laughs) It's run by Archie, what do you expect? Yeah. That's the thing, though. Like, I I really, if there's a way to make the Red Circle thing work for me as somebody who's really turned off by it, it's that, you know, we have, like, 95 superhero shows, and none of them are about helping people who need help. They're all, to some extent or another, about punching people. So the idea of the red circle, instead of being like violent vigilantes evolving into a form where it's like actually taking the the quote unquote mission statement seriously, that's potentially interesting. And it's potentially different than the superhero stuff that CW has on every other night of the week. Uh, But so far they're really kind of pointing it in the direction of like, Hey, we really want to punch stuff. Yeah. See that. I feel like that's something it needs to try to stay away from. When Archie, when Archie came out with a baseball bat, and you're just like, oh, Archie, what are you doing? And then you look in the backseat of the car, and it's just an assortment of shit to beat a dude to death with. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, you guys need to calm down. First of all, none of you have any idea who you're looking for. Yeah. Hey. And it's, I, I guess it kind of falls in line with the same thing with the gun. They're biting off way too much, way too quick without realizing what they're getting themselves into, which I get is sort of the plight of teenage years. 
but like it's to, it's to such a heightened degree because there's literally a killer on the loose. Speaking of the killer on the loose, uh, I did. I also liked the notion that obviously these things are connected. If they found um, Fred's wallet and uh, Grundy's glasses, so that was another interesting nugget. I and see that that actually makes me wonder. That's part of what makes me speculate that maybe his his. Uh, motivation is not what he says even though that's literally what we were thinking it was last week uh, because i feel like if you're a guy who's out there like putting the hurt on people who you think are evil i don't know why did he take serial killer trophies i uh, think he took them specifically for the reason of turning them over to prove he is who he says he is and, and also just terrorism <laughs> But that's exactly my point, is I agree with you, Chris. I, that's 100%. Like, the only reason to do this is to make this all public. Right. But if that's the case, then why? Like, there's the obvious possibility that it's exactly what he says it is, and that's why. But there's equally a chance that really it's just because the Black Hood is being used for some other thing. And, you know, if he's working for Hiram, working for the Serpents, working for the Ghoulies, doing whatever then the minute you put it out there that, like, well, I'm cleaning up the streets, then you're throwing the scent off of whatever it is you're actually doing. Well, here's what I'll say to that. There was a very subtle touch to that scene. That, and this is, this is the only reason I sort of believed that what he was saying was the way it was. When they pulled out, uh, when they pulled out Fred's wallet, there's money hanging out of it. So not only did this person shoot Fred and take his wallet, he didn't bother to even take the money out of it. Because that's something a criminal would do. And he's not a criminal. He's the judge. That's fair. Yeah. That and that and uh, honestly, it could be that like that's just part of the shtick of the, right. the whole sort of distraction of it all. But I thought that was a really interesting touch for them to add. That's a good point. And as and if, if it was just a matter of proving that and not something that was supposed to be subtly noticed, you could have them be like, they didn't even touch anything, blah, 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 blah. But it, it does kind of come across differently having it like hanging out at the top of the wallet like that. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like I'm, I'm kind of torn. Like I agree right. that that's the reason that those things were taken is absolutely. It's so that he could turn them over and prove that he is who he says he is. The question then becomes why he wants to prove that, and we aren't going to find that out for a while. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. All right, any closing? Oh yeah, totally. And I, I mean, that's one of the things I really liked last season. Like, even even though you know halfway through the season, you knew who the killer was, and I kind of guessed it and then stuck with it. I still thought it was Keller. It still like it. There was something fun about having a mystery show where you don't find out three episodes in who the bad guy is so that you can watch them twirl their mustache for the rest of the season. Right. And so I really, like, I like having this kind of take. The one thing that becomes problematic is, especially now that we're past season one and it's harder to keep people's motivations opaque, is we're going to get into the season and I'm going to start wondering, like, okay, at what point do you take that hood off and nobody who it can possibly be is a big enough surprise to justify keeping it on so long? Ooh, good question. Uh, which is, it becomes the, like, uh, if you know your, your like, comic book geek history, it becomes, like, the, the Green Goblin problem. Hobgoblin. Where, 
No, the Green Goblin, where uh, Stan Lee and Steve Ditko fell out over the fact oh, that yeah. Stan Lee wanted Green Goblin to be Peter's best friend's dad. And uh, Ditko was basically like, that's not how the world works. Like, not everybody is related to everybody, damn it. You, we need it to be some rando. And Stan was like, that's not narratively satisfying, so it might be realistic, but, like, what are you doing? Um, and, and so that, that becomes kind of the problem with a show like this, where, like, I love the fact that the mystery is so impenetrable right now, but I do wonder, especially over a longer season, how long you can do that and still have the person eventually revealed be both logically consistent and meaningful. But it's also, like, even a character like Smithers would not be major enough for me. Well, I mean, that, it could be, though. I mean, it, he could be major enough if you made it emotionally impactful and you made right. his motivation interesting enough to justify it. But yeah. that's kind of what I'm getting at, is that, like, you need to establish the killer's motivation deeply enough that it makes sense and that it's still impactful when he's unmasked. And... Doing that over the life of a TV season is a lot harder without blowing the secret than doing it in a two-hour movie. Of course he's in the Black Hood. He's a sheriff who couldn't catch a cold. (laughs) Stop it, Craig. Shout out to Uh, Michelle. I'm just kidding. (laughs) All right, any final thoughts? Uh, I gotta go for my jog. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we've we've covered everything. Uh, Make sure to bring protection. I will. You know, I'll find the one area of woods here in Burbank, and I'm good. Oh, see, now that people know where you live. It's true. <laughs> they already knew, but it's cool. Oh. They have to know which woods to find me in, I mean, after all. But, uh, yeah, I've got nothing more to add other than that I'm looking forward to seeing next week's, and I hope they give us a screener. So, All right. All right. Like, why don't we go around the room? Uh, where can people find you guys on the wide world of webs? You can find uh, me at caseplatetv.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, tweeting about Riverdale at Riverdale TV. Um, come say hi. I, you know, and you can find me in the woods here in Burbank. Oh, <laughs> I'm just running this into the ground, <laughs> like um, Sheriff Keller and his last victim. Um, before I tell you where you can find me, I must impress upon you that you should subscribe rate and review this podcast on iTunes and the podcasts app and Apple music and whatever stupid thing they're calling, whatever it is they do this week, because all of those wonderful places I want, I want new reviews. I want reviews. I want listener questions. Like send us questions. Like if you want to know something, chances are we want to know something and we'll talk about it endlessly whether you want us to or not. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Chris Hayner, C-H-R-I-S-H-A-Y-N-E-R. I'm also there on Instagram. Uh, I have a bunch of new photos that I need to put on the at Waterworld Photos Instagram. It's still the greatest destination in all of the internet and you can find my writing about Riverdale right now at IGN. Who knows where it'll be in the next several weeks? I don't even know. And I'm just... Throw a rock at the internet, you'll find something I wrote somewhere. I like throwing rocks at the internet. That's actually that's one of my favorite. Uh, you can find me at Russ Berlin Game on pretty much every place. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, all that good stuff. You can follow the Emerald City Video Podcast, which is ECV underscore podcast, which is basically, if you like this show, every other podcast that I'm involved with 
is tweeted under the like Emerald City Video Podcast banner. So if you like this show and you would like to hear me talk about stuff, that's where to go. And other than that, comicbook.com is where I write about all of the CW shows as well as comic books and more goodness. And I'm going to say it here because it's something I want to do during a hiatus week this season. We're going to finally make the sweet spot happen where we, we watch and recap <laughs> the pilot of The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. Can we get Mr. Mosby on there with us? He's probably dead, I'll be honest. No, he's actually directing TV now, but that's a completely different tangent. So, okay, he's like dead as an actor then, I get it. But he's yeah. not on the Supernatural spinoff like uh, Zack and Cody's mom is. <laughs> oh man, but, yeah, that was a thing. Anyway. Yeah, all right. All right, thank you everybody for listening, uh, and we will be back in a week with, uh, I can't remember mm-hmm. the name of the episode. The world might end. Well, the world I might mean, end is not the title of the episode, but we can't remember what it is. No, I think it's the town that dreaded sundown, but that that could be wrong. Anyway, I don't uh, think so. But anyway, yeah. Anyway, thank you for listening. Like, rate, review, all that good stuff. Follow us on Twitter, and we will see you in a week. <laughs>